0: Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning, and uh, happy Father's Day to those of you fathers who are with us this morning. This morning's reading from the book of Job and also that from the Gospel of Mark are particularly appropriate given the past year and a half of the worldwide pandemic, during which all of our lives were affected in some way and to some degree. The theme of the book of Job is the question of God's justice in the face of human suffering, or, more simply, why do the righteous suffer Or even more simply, why do bad things happen to good people? And in the gospel, the disciples ask two questions. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And these questions lead us to the question that we find ourselves asking time and time again. Why is it the case that the God who created the wind and the sea, this God who can calm that which he created, does not intervene to prevent or avert suffering, particularly the suffering of those that we assume to be good and righteous people? Even if we might not have read the entire book of Job, we know the basic outline. In the first chapter, we are told that Job was blameless and upright, that he feared God, that he turned away from evil. We know that he had seven sons and three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and numerous servants. Job was very rich. And we are introduced to Job, but we're also introduced to Satan, who says the only reason that Job is blameless and upright is because thus far life for him has been easy, prosperous, and comfortable. So Satan said to God, Have you not put a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand, and his possessions have increased in the land. Satan then issued the challenge that sets the story in motion. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. God did not himself stretch out his hand to harm Job, but he gave Satan permission to do so. God did not cause Job's suffering, but he allowed it to occur. God did not cause, he did not prevent, he did not avert Job's suffering. Um, Some of you may be familiar with the book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Well, Job suffered several terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. All of his livestock was stolen. His servants were killed. His children died when a great wind caused the collapse of the house in which they were dining. And as if his catastrophic losses were not enough, he was afflicted with terrible sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Job's wife encouraged him to just go ahead and curse God, get it over with. She said, curse God and die. But Job responded by asking, Shall we receive the good and not receive the bad? Now initially there seemed to be a ray of light when three of his friends arrived with the intention of showing him sympathy and offering comfort. For one week they sat in silence with Job on his ash heap because they saw the immensity of his suffering. But once they broke the silence a week later, they did so with words of accusation and condemnation. They contended that there had to be some secret sin for which Job was being punished. Job responded by defending his innocence. He recalled his former blessed life when he was happy and prosperous, when he had been a benefactor to the poor and when he had been a champion of justice. The problem of suffering is perhaps the most vexing theological question that most of us will confront at one time or another. Suffering and loss are exaggerated in the life and book of Job. Few of us have, or will be, left to sit on an ash heap of so much sorrow and loss. But as exaggerated as Job's circumstances were, we can nevertheless identify with him all too well, either because of what we have suffered, what our family members have suffered, or what we have heard or read about others' suffering. Just in the past week, the COVID death toll in America reached 600,000. In the past year and a half, we have witnessed the catastrophic loss that some families and communities have suffered during the pandemic. And even those of us who have stayed healthy and physically unaffected have suffered some loss, even if temporary. The inability to celebrate holidays and special occasions with our loved ones, the inability to gather in person for worship, the necessity for remote education, to name but a few. Friday morning, I attended a funeral for a woman who died six months ago, but it was not until this past week that her family and friends could gather together in their church to remember and to celebrate her life. When we're confronted by suffering, we're often similar to Job's friends. We're determined to find an answer to the question, why? We want there to be some answer that might shield us or perhaps our loved ones from a similar fate. We want there to be a predictable correspondence between lung cancer and smoking, a correspondence that only works when the afflicted was a smoker. We want to be able to say that an injury suffered was because the injured was in the wrong place at the wrong time. We want to say that our child is autistic because we had them vaccinated at the age of one, two, or three. We want to lay blame for the pandemic on Wuhan, China, or on bats, or on super spreader events, or maybe because we sang in a choir. We may not jump to Job's friend's conclusion that there has to be some secret sin at the root of their troubles, but there must be some reason that we can identify One of Philip's best friends from high school was Charlie Gilchrist. Charlie was a lawyer with a distinguished career in government in Maryland. When his son was diagnosed with a brain tumor, Charlie found himself praying to a God he thought he didn't believe in. That acknowledgement of belief as he prayed for his son's healing led him to Virginia Theological Seminary. and to a vocation as an Episcopal priest. Philip, his close friend, said, that's wonderful, but you don't have to be that serious about it. (laughs) Um, After he was ordained, he served at the cathedral in Chicago, caring for the homeless population, and then he returned to Maryland to serve the poorest of the poor in Baltimore's Sandtown neighborhood. And not long after his return to Baltimore, Charlie was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, Because he had been well-known in the community, a reporter interviewed him for an article that he was doing just before his death, and the reporter asked him, don't you ever ask God, why me? And Charlie simply responded, why not me? That may be as close to an answer as we can ever give when confronted by inexplicable suffering and loss. As Job said, shall shall we receive the good and not receive the bad? The book of Job poses vexing theological questions about the problem of suffering, but he does little to provide us with the answers that we're searching for. At the conclusion of the book, in the verses that we read this morning, God spoke to Job out of the whirlwind and asked him some version of, Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to question God, to question God's will, to question God's ways? The problem was not that Job had the audacity to contend with God and with those who would pretend to be speaking for God. The problem is that Job thought there was an answer to be had, The book of Job more clearly says what is not the case about suffering. It is not the case about suffering that suffering is ever deserved. It's not the case that God is ever the agent of suffering. God redirected the question from why am I suffering to who are you in relation to the God who laid the foundations of the earth? God redirected the question to that asked by the disciples when Jesus calmed the winds and the waves, wind and the waves. Who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? This is the one who laid the foundation of the earth. This is the one who loved us so much that he gave his only son. This is the one who suffers with us and who does not break the silence with words of blame and condemnation. This is the one who is with us in the boat during the great windstorm, when the boat is being battered by the waves. The answer to the question, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing, is answered by his rebuke to the wind. Peace, be still. Does he not care that we are in the midst of a windstorm and that we are afraid we might go overboard? Yes, he cares, and he's in that boat with us. This morning's reading from Job is also particularly appropriate for our present circumstance because God addresses Job at the conclusion of his ordeal. He has suffered catastrophic loss. He has been sitting on that ash heap Battered by his friends' suppositions and accusations, and he's heard the voice of God in the whirlwind. Job acknowledges that God can do all things, and Job prays for his friends who have not spoken the truth about God to him, thereby causing jo- Job even more pain. But there is good news for Job. Job gets off the ash heap, his wounds are healed. There is for him restoration and long life. There was good news for the disciples. Jesus was with them in the boat, and he calmed the sea so that they returned safely to shore. But it's also the case that our stay on the ash heap may not be brief, and though though the storm eventually gives way to sunny calm, it may take a while. And there is good news for us, as we step off the ash heap of the pandemic and enjoy a cautious return to more normalcy. We are, after all, in this place together without masks on, step by step. And finally, there is one more lesson to be learned. And that is, don't try to answer the inevitable question, why is this happening? Instead, be like Job's friends that first week of their arrival. Sit on the ash heap. Sit in the boat with your loved one while the storm rages. Weep with them and know that their suffering is great. What is being asked of us is not right answers. Rather, what's being asked of us is our compassionate and our empathetic presence. Amen.